breast. If I found you outdoors, I would kiss you. No one did, would despise me either. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother who used to instruct me. I would give you spiced wine to drink from the juice of my pomegranates. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. I want you to swear, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. This is just a little odd for us in verse 1. She wishes he were a sibling. That way she could freely express her love to him in public. She could kiss him whenever she wanted to. Now, I am understanding from that that apparently public display of affection between husbands and wives was uh, taboo in this period. But it was okay between siblings. Uh, So that's a little odd, but her point is she wishes she could just kiss him all the time. She wishes she could just always, uh, you know, be close to him. She said, I I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother who used to instruct me. Now, that gives a whole new perspective on Titus 2. But I think a proper perspective on that. She can lead him into her uh, quarters there, into the uh, house of her mother. And she can practice the things her mother taught her. Um, you know, there's almost this idea. Um, we, 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 we have these extremes. We are in, you know, just extreme sexual permissiveness and grossness and whoa. But there's that rebound effect of where these are not things we talk about in polite company. This is something that if you were really virtuous, you wouldn't really do it and all that kind of stuff. And parents don't talk to their children about these kind of things because it's really kind of shameful and embarrassing and whatever. This is a whole different mindset. You know, instead of this being something kind of alien and abhorrent, she's been hearing and being, being taught by the closest woman to her all about this. Isn't this what mothers ought to be teaching their daughters? I think that's what she's learned. And so she would lead him, bringing him into the house of her mother who used to instruct her. I would give you spiced wine to drink from the juice of my pomegranates. So she's going to give him some more fruit juice, and we know what that means. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. You know, she may not be able to give him public affection, but she's sure going to make up for it in private. But, verse 4, I want you to swear, O daughter of Jerusalem, do not arouse or awaken love until she pleases. This is for married people, virgins. Stay virgins until the time is right, that is, when you get married. Proverbs is kind of the book for boys, and it seems to me like this song is more the book for girls, along that line. You know, keep yourself or your eventual mate, Period. Don't experience these things prematurely. That is that is a bad thing. But that means these daughters of Jerusalem are single. <coughs> and that's an interesting th- thing to think about in that, you know, this book is really, really, really praising marriage love. And wow, it's just beautiful, wonderful, joyful, whatever. Well, what about these poor daughters of Jerusalem who are single? Well, I think it's important as we talk about this not to let singleness lead us to despair. 
The most fulfilled human being who ever lived was single and never was intimate with a woman, Jesus Christ. I don't think he was stunted. You know, single people who are Christians can have very close, deep, profound relationships with other Christians. And they are they are married to the Lord. That marriage to the Lord is the only ultimately satisfying thing. Here's one thing that's such a, you see it, you just cringe. You see this, this, let's say a guy who's just desperate to get married. You know, he's just so empty, he's so lonely, he's so needy, he's so this, he's so that. He's got to find a wife. Well, if the Lord blesses him with, as uh, my friend used to say, a cross between the Mona Lisa and the Virgin Mary, uh, you know, or something. No, is that what it was? Whatever. But if the Lord blesses him with, you know, some perfect specimen, she's not going to do it for him. You know, no woman will ever fill us up if the Lord doesn't. I mean, that's more to expect than is reasonable. Is it great to be married? Yeah. If we're married, well, if we're, if we follow these principles, um, you know, then, then absolutely, this is tremendous. Uh, but, but we need to, uh, you know, we need to put this in its proper, uh, context and not make it mean this isn't the end all and be all of my life. It's not. And, and it just puts pressure on, on marriage relationships that is inappropriate. You know, don't expect your wife to be everything that, that you ever have lacked. And now she's gonna just, you know, every time you have any need, she's gonna be the perfect fit for you. No, the Lord's the only one that's that. It'll be cool. And it's great to have a marriage relationship. God designed that. He wanted it to be wonderful for us, but it's less wonderful than our relationship with the Lord by a long shot. Marriage lasts for a lifetime. Our relationship with the Lord lasts forever. So, you know, I think this, this book really encourages, uh, marriage love, but it also encourages single people. The time is not yet, and don't get too, you know, uh, hasty about it. Thoughts and comments? Alright, how about five to seven? Who is that coming from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a sleeve upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Well, this is kind of the high point in this song. This is a wonderful passage. Who is this? Coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? I think the response every time when this is asked is the the woman. Um, back in 3, 6, 6, 10 and here. She says, beneath the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she was in labor and gave you birth. Um, we've seen apples in uh, marital contexts several times already in this book. 
And I suspect the verb he uses here uh, means more than meets the eye. You know, I awakened you. Um, and your mother was in labor with you. She was in labor and gave you birth. I think, again, the idea that uh, the mothers are involved in this art of, of love. Um, she says, put me like a seal over your heart and like a seal on your arm. So it's like she wants to have the seal, her, her own special seal, imprinted on his heart and his arm. She wants to receive his love and his strength. And she wants this to be a special thing. She's got the only ring. You know, put me as a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. You know, I'm the special exclusive property. For love is as strong as death. Now, that is saying a lot. How strong is death? Inevitable. Yeah. You can't stop it. Nothing can. It's one of the strongest forces there is. Just as death can't be conquered, love is invincible. You can't repress it. You know, you can't escape. It's just relentless. It's tenacious. It's unyielding. It won't let go. That's love. You know, you ever seen death give up somebody that it once claimed? Well, Jesus. But no. You know, once people enter the grip of death, they don't come back. It never releases its captives. You know, it holds on tight and doesn't let them go. Love is like that. Love is tenacious. It endures. I don't care how many problems there are. It fights its way through and hangs on. You know, love is uh, is as strong as death. It, it'll, it, it won't let go. You can't get away from it. You can't get out of it. Uh, love bears all things, believes all things, hope all, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, uh, jealousy is as severe as Sheol. Now, is jealousy, can it be a good thing in marriage? What, what would be a good jealousy to have in marriage? Isn't it just like the exclusive idea? Exactly. That's exactly it. I will not share my wife with anyone else. Nobody has any business infringing on my relationship with my wife. There's a possessiveness in love that's appropriate. There's an exclusiveness in love. There is a specialness in the relationship in marriage that nobody else shares. Your husband and wife knows you in a way no one else does. There are only two truly exclusive relationships in life. And both of them are to be kept exclusive. Our relationship with God and our relationship between the husband and wife. We can only have one God. We can only have one wife. So when there's a threat to the relationship, jealousy is the appropriate emotion. Um, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. But love is passionate, love's intense, nothing can extinguish it. It destroys everything that gets in its way. Um, it's dangerous. You know, you gotta exercise care around something as powerful as love. Um, you know, I mean, that's it. You know, is there not a dimension in love that goes beyond, you know, 
rational, calculated, logical analysis. You know, we're not just calmly explaining to our uh, intended mate uh, the various strengths you and her bring to the table and you're proposing some kind of a corporate merger. This is way more intense than that. And I think this reflects that. I mean, it's flashes of flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. You know, this is this is powerful. This is this is on fire. You know, this is wow. Um, and uh, many waters cannot quench love, nor where rivers overflow it. So it's a fire you can't douse. You know, nothing can destroy it. True love goes through anything. True love is is un- indestructible. Um, if a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. You know, you can buy sex, you can't buy love. You know, it, it, it's it's not an object. It's not it's not it's not saleable. Uh, so love is stronger than death, stronger than water, stronger than money. Love is stronger than anything. Um, and and while we're at it, don't forget the strongest love is the love between the Lord and His people. And that love, you could say everything it says here anymore about. And I think it's worth meditating on that and just, you know, understanding the nature of love itself. So, I mean, this is a good time in this book just to reflect on, wow, love is amazing. You know, this relationship is is incredibly strong. Thoughts and comments? All right. Eight to ten. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we shall build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we shall barricade her with planks of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. Okay, now here's a question. Who's the we? We have a little sister who's underage, and we're trying to protect her as she gets older. Are these, some people think these are the brothers that were mentioned back in chapter one, that they protected this woman's purity? Uh, that would kind of tie this up nicely. Uh, the problem is, there's not anything really in the context to indicate that. So maybe, but that's kind of importing them again and kind of like, well, I don't know. Uh, so I'm not so sure about that. Maybe this is the couple. You know, are they committing themselves to guard a little sister of theirs? And, you know, but again, I, I don't know. Either way, I think looking at it from the standpoint of the sister, they're saying if she's a wall, we'll decorate her. She's a, if she's a door, we'll barricade it. <laughs> now, a wall keeps people out. A door lets you come in. So the idea is, we don't want anybody coming into this little sister. She's got to be a wall, barricaded. Nobody gets in. Remember that locked garden and, and all that? I think it's the idea. She doesn't, we, we you know, they're, they're concerned to protect that little sister so that nobody messes with her. You know, there is so much importance in purity, you know, and premarital purity. You know, it's just, uh, you know, this book just keeps harping on that. 
But you really destroy the relationship. You destroy the love when you've already, you know, thrown that around. I'm not saying that people can't have sinned and come back to the Lord and have good marriages. But, but this is detrimental, very detrimental to marriage. And uh, she responds, I was a wall. And my breasts were like towers, and I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. She herself had been a wall. She says, I've kept myself chaste. Uh, she's protected her purity until the time was right. Uh, and nobody had been able to overcome her defenses. Uh, she, she's, she's fully mature now. She's got plenty of assets, but nobody's taking them until she gets married. Um, and, you know, this, this ought not to seem strange after all those warnings to the daughters of Jerusalem. This is a part of the point. You know, just like Proverbs is saying, watch out for the strange woman. She's saying here, Keep yourself, you know, no relationship until you're married. Uh, be a wall, not a door. And, and and think about the spiritual application. We need to protect our own spiritual purity. Sometimes we sell our vineyard to the highest bidder, and then we find out they're paying us in counterfeit currency. Uh, but, but we don't want anybody getting in the way of that exclusive relationship we have with the Lord. You know, that, that needs to be protected barricade it, you know, don't, don't let anybody through. All right, comments and questions on that? Verse 10. So, she's saying, I was pure, <coughs> and now I have peace. I have a good, uh-huh. calm, proper relationship. I mean, so, the purity led to the peace kind of concept. Yes, yes, absolutely. And... You know, it gives you more security all the way around when both of you have been pure until marriage, including with each other. I think that gives a lot more sense of trust and a stronger basis for the marriage. Eleven and twelve. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hammon. He entrusted the vineyard to caretakers. Each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for its fruit. My very own vineyard is at my disposal. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who take care of its fruit. Okay. So Solomon, I think, becomes the contrast, the foil, we would call it. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He entrusted the vineyard to caretakers. Each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for its fruit. Um, so, you know, he's got, uh, he's got his own vineyard, Solomon does. Uh, he had a whole harem, he pays people to take care of him. You know, like it was some kind of a commercial enterprise. You know, can you imagine? You wouldn't even hardly know some of these women. Uh, the more women you have, the less fulfilling and satisfying the relationship is with anyone. You end up being emptier than ever, starving for a real, you know, deep relationship. And and so Solomon's got, you know, hired out people taking care of his harem. You know, by comparison, he says, my very own vineyard is at my disposal. You can keep your thousand shekels, Solomon. You know, I don't, I don't want that. You know, um, don't you, don't you mess with my vineyard. You know, for him, I wouldn't trade my one for all of yours. 
you know, he's got the one that's the choice one. You know, his vineyard is worth more to him than all the money and wife Solomon has. So don't worry about those. You know, what I've got is, is the blessing. Um, Solomon may have larger holdings, but he's got the prize. And you might think about, you know, keeping our vineyards pure and above reproach, even by Jesus' definition on the Sermon on the Mount, not looking to lust. We really need that whole pure atmosphere, um, pure behavior when it comes to, to sexual uh, misconduct. Comments or questions? All right, let's do 13 and 14. Oh, you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle and a young stag on the mountains of spices. So he says, you who sit in the gardens, which is the sphere of love in this song, my companions are listening for your voice, let me hear it. He still loves to talk to her. He finds her voice delightful. You know, this is not some boring relationship. It's an exciting thing still for him. And she says, hurry, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. She's, she's eager for him to come to her. Remember the mountain of spices as a part of her anatomy. And so she's inviting him to bound in and enjoy the relationship with her. You wonder if they'll ever get better break. You know, it's like, wow, these guys are really in love. Isn't that cool? You know, uh, that's, that's a wonderful relationship. So they depart off into the countryside, you know, leaving us to imagine what uh, they've enjoyed, kind of this love that never ends. They belong to each other. They're free to pursue the delights of love. They, they have this commitment to each other. They can enjoy each other. Um, it's just, wow. You know, marital love is where it's at. You know, before, outside of, or whatever, is just not the same. It's not It's not even a cheap imitation. It's just not the same. Thoughts and comments? It's very repetitive. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, we kind of need that. And, uh... But I think, I think a lot of good insights, a lot of helpful thoughts. So I'm glad to be able to share that. And I was just asked the other day if it was on the website. So.